Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. In this episode of Cult Talk, Darlene Griffith joins me to talk about the early days of Kobu, back when it was the Forever Family back before Stuart changed the name to actually make it sound a little more legitimate. She met her husband there and she talks about how they moved through their time in Kobu, how they slowly became aware that Stuart was a cult leader and how they left. She describes it as a house of cards that came tumbling down and it didn't happen the same way for both Darlene and her husband. And so she talks about what it's like being in a group that has coercive control over you when your partner isn't quite realizing the same things you are at the same time. She also talks about what happened after they left and how they've moved through their lives since then, and all of the aftermath that can really affect the rest of our lives after being in a group like Kobu. Here's part one of my two-part interview with Darlene Griffith. Well, I'm here with Darlene Dufton Griffith. And Darlene, we spoke briefly before, but I'm so happy that you've agreed to come on the podcast and tell your story today. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for welcoming me. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I think uh, you had reached out to me initially because you had heard my story of my parents and you kind of overlapped in your time in Kobu with them a bit, correct? So tell us yes. what years you were in. Just give us a, the brief highlights about how you found the group and what your experience it is. You know, I'll just kind of turn it over to you to tell us. Okay. Well, I was was introduced to the Forever family prior to the name change at the end of 1973, around September. Right. And I was in the group past the name change into Church of Bible Understanding. Up until 1979, we physically left, but we continued to go back to meetings until around 1984 or 85, 1985. Oh, wow. So over, like over a 10-year span then, truly. Right. And my husband was one of the first people in the group. 
he was a, he always says he was the 13th one. <laughs> so he was there before it was even named Forever Family, before there was ever even a name, when it was just a scraggly group of hippies down in the parkway. So he was in even longer than I was. But I would say that we because we kept going to the meetings even after we physically left, there was that connection there. So even though we physically left, we kept going back. Uh, we couldn't extricate ourselves from it right away, even after leaving. So, you know, even though we lived in from 73 to 79, we didn't leave in our minds and in our hearts. We were still there. Right. And when you say lived in, did you live communally with a group of people? How? Do, what was your circumstance like when you were living with them? Always communally. Always. Okay. Uh, first, first, I came in, in through the Cleveland Fellowship and... I moved in almost immediately um, after I met some people on the street and they witnessed to me. I moved in, I'm going to say about six weeks later. First, I was going to go to college in Columbus. So I went down there to be with my friends because I had already put down a down payment on an apartment. But when I was down there, I couldn't stay there because I was pulled or drawn toward going back. So I left six weeks later, left Columbus and went back to be with the Forever family. And now I always ask everyone on the podcast this, but what did your family say about this? What was their reaction? Because you you were actually going to go to college and then you chose this instead. Did they uh, give you a hard time about that or did they just let you make that choice and leave you alone? Well, my mother wasn't living any longer. Okay. She had already passed away. My sister wasn't I, I don't think she really understood what was going on with me. She had her own life. And so did my brother. And my father completely didn't understand. In fact, he was the one, he drove me down to the, the apartment in Columbus. He had no idea really that I had even met anyone in the Forever family. So when I came back, I immediately went to the fellowship and they, they didn't know. So mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't, it was only until later, I think that they, because they weren't able to get in touch with me through the years that they wondered, where did Darlene go? Right. <laughs> and at that time, they, the, the, I hear, I didn't hear any protestations from them. They all had their own lives and they didn't really know what was going on with me. And there was still a lot of grieving because of losing my mother. Not, it was just a few years before that. And there was a number of deaths in the family. So there was, how can I say, they just didn't know. And so I was doing this pretty much on my own without my family members really knowing what was going on. Yeah. And would you say that that the the passing of your mom and the grieving and looking for something a group to join that did that all combine together to make it a perfect situation for you to really be attracted to what we now call a cult? Of course, you don't call it that when you're joining it. It just feels like a you know a, a movement and spiritual and a religion. But what was it in you that was really searching? I think that the idea of a forever family was very attractive to me because I was lonely. I was grieving the loss of, uh, there was, I lost two of my brothers, my oldest brother, my mm. youngest. I'd lost my mother and there was this emptiness inside of me. Now, granted, it wasn't just that. There was a, a, a spiritual longing. 
I was raised in an atheist agnostic home and there was no belief in God. And so I was searching for God, too. I was searching, is, is he real? And so for the few months prior to meeting the, the Forever family, I was praying and I was seeking. So it was both a loneliness because of not having a close physical family anymore. And also it was a desire to know God. Did he exist? And the, the, I did have a genuine spiritual encounter with the Lord in the forever family. So it was those two things yeah. that drew me. Yeah, that makes sense. And then a and, physical family and a spiritual family. Right, right. And so and ultimately you met your husband in the group. Did that relationship start to develop pretty soon after you joined or did that come later? I'm going to say it was about six or seven months after I was in the group that I met my husband. It was early on. You know, and he he wasn't immediately attracted to me, but I was attracted to him. <laughs> and <laughs> and you, then, you never you know, let him forget that, huh? Last, our dating only lasted, if you want to call it dating, whatever it was in the Forever Family, because <laughs> um, we lived in the same fellowship house. But anyway, it lasted for about three months. And at that particular time, a lot of people were getting married in the group. And so after about three, three and a half months of knowing each other, we got married. And we're still married to this day, which is amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> in, light of, in light of everything that has transpired over the years, that's amazing. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, you're right. A whole lot of people in the group, the early forever family, and then the very early stages of Kobu were, were getting married. And then, of course, as you know, and I know that was all shut down in later years. You know, Stuart pretty much demanded that nobody get married. Do you feel like this all contributed to the both of you then starting to see cracks in the group? Or my mom really talks about the fact that she thinks it was beneficial that they could get married and they could start families in the early days. And she thinks that contributed to a lot of them ultimately seeing the truth and leaving because they had different loyalties. It wasn't just a single person who has only loyalty to Stuart and isn't allowed to have deeper relationships. So I guess my question for you is when you got married early on, uh, did both of you start to question Stuart or did you individually do that? Just what was your experience? I never completely trusted Stuart. Ah, okay. Now, I didn't 
I didn't divulge this to people because that was forbidden. You know, it was something, if you questioned Stuart, then you were uh, considered divisive. Right. So I, I didn't, but I, all, I always held back from the first time I met him. I always held back from completely trusting him. So I often say to the degree to which we gave our will to Stuart, that we transferred our will to him. That's the degree to which we were conditioned and controlled by him. And I always had this question in my mind about him. My husband, on the other hand, saw Stuart as a father figure because his real father left him when he was five years old Mm. and had nothing whatsoever to do with him from that point on. And wanted nothing to do with him, even when my husband reached out to him. So there's the difference. Yeah. So there was this, I knew that my husband had complete loyalty to Stuart. So I had the attitude of waiting until he began to see the wrong in the group. And I do think that with married couples, the issue there was anything that we wanted to do to invest in our marriage was seen as taking away from the goals of the group. So for example, one time my husband and I went to the circus. Harmless, right? We took our little child. He was maybe, I'm going to say about two. Mm -hmm. And we took him to the circus. But as we were getting ready to go, there were other members warning us that we were into the flesh. We were into the world. What are you doing going to the circus? Because we were supposed to be out witnessing if we weren't working in the church businesses. Going to the circus was forbidden. Right. Now that of the devil. Church, <laughs> right. That was in the church of Bible understanding when things were getting worse. I would say prior to that, when we were in the forever family, um, for example, on our honeymoon, we went to a hotel and then after that we saw live and let die. <laughs> right. And there was, there was no one, you know, when we told people, oh yeah, we saw the movie live and let die. No one thought anything of it. But then as time went on, something like that was considered evil, wrong. It was considered compromising on your faith. And everything, all of our energies, 100% were to be given to the goals of the group. Now, granted, in our minds, we thought that was loyalty to Christ. But Really and truly, what it was, was investing completely in Stuart's vision. So honestly, what happened was we transferred our loyalty from God to Stuart. Right. Completely. And, and with some people, it happened gradually. And with other people, I think they didn't know the difference when they came into the group. They didn't understand how much control Stuart had. So all that to say that I always make a difference. I always say that the Forever family, there was more freedom, more freedom to do things 
um, to make your own choices. We did not hand our entire paycheck in. We only gave a certain amount. And then we kept the rest of our money, the money to ourselves. And if we wanted to uh, go to a movie once in a while, or if we wanted to go out to eat with our someone we were dating or our spouse, it wasn't frowned upon. But eventually, any kind of activity that wasn't prescribed by Stuart was looked down upon. Yeah. And that was definitely in the Church of Bible understanding. So and it the, just kept continuing getting more oppressive, you know, as the years went on. The autonomy of the members was all but taken away. Yes. And that's what we saw as we, even after we left and we would go back to the meetings and we visited Stuart and his house in Princeton, we saw that people, well, first of all, there was no joy anymore. In the beginning, there was at least people were, were happy. People were there because they wanted to be there in the group. But as time went on, people stayed out of guilt and I'll say false guilt. Mm-hmm. And so we just saw such a difference. It was oppressive. And everything that a person did was analyzed. Your every move, you, you, you couldn't even think freely. It was um, an oppressive, toxic cult. Finally, I would say it was in 1985 when we just, it was the Mountain Manor meeting in September, or I, September, October of 1985, when especially my husband said, I'm done, I'm not going to go back. He, re- he realized at that point, whatever the forever family was, this group had morphed into something completely different from the original vision, and he didn't want to have any part of it. Now, what was, the, what was it that he heard or saw that made him say that, or was it just death by a thousand cuts? was the way the members treated each other, the way Stuart treated everyone, and the way he was treated. You know, he, he went to help out. He was a bricklayer, and he went to help with doing some work in one of the fellowship houses. And every time he went there to help, he was mocked and ridiculed for being an older brother. And he said, I don't have to put up with this. I'm coming here to help. And they're mocking me. They're telling me I'm unfaithful and that I'm backslidden and I'm not right with God. And here I am coming to help, you know, and he would be there to encourage them. And they just threw it all back in his face. And he said, this isn't the way Christians treat each other. And he was done at that point. And what was your feeling? Were you relieved that he finally reached that point? Yes. Yeah. Uh, See, I would go with him, okay? I was going, after we physically left, I was going back to these meetings and things Mm -hmm. for his sake. I knew that this the fellowship wasn't going in a bad direction and it was only going to get worse. But he didn't know that. And so I knew that if I just tried to convince him, which I did on some occasions, he would just push back. And then, of course, there were members who would call and say, you know, you're just listening to the voice of your wife. You're being deceived by the Eve spirit. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Stuart was big and on so that. There's no way that anything I say is going to convince him. He needs to see it on his own. 
And that was when he did, when he saw that he was going to this fellowship, trying to to help out, and he was ridiculed. That was the end of it for him. He couldn't take it anymore. And he knew that he had to move on. Yeah. And how how do you move on after that? This is a huge question. We were discussing this, you know, before we started recording for the podcast, we had a preliminary conversation and we were both really interested in how people do move on from cults, not just Kobu, not just Forever Family, any cult, because... You can leave, you can physically leave and you physically left, but then still went to the meetings, but then you really leave and you stop going to the meetings, but it stays with you and it does affect, I I feel in in my personal experience and my family's experience, it does affect you afterwards, whether you admit it or not. Yes, it does. In our last conversation, I told you about that expression You can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. I grew up hearing my mother say that Mm -hmm. because my, my father grew up in the country and she would say that to him. Well, you can take the person out of the cult, but it's much more difficult to take the cult out of the person. You have to understand the whole time you're there, you're hearing this loaded language. It's idiosyncrasies identified with your group only. The way we spoke, was Kobu speak. We People outside of our group didn't speak that way. And so things like faith or feelings, you're either working or wailing. Women are like water. They take the path of least resistance. These Whoa. Were, yes, they were binary, um, black and white proverbs, so to speak, that were spoken to us. But they went into our minds and we ingested them. We believed in them. And so you physically leave. But those things that you took in, they are still there. So when you're trying to live outside of that echo chamber, that insulated, insular group, those things you encounter, those things that you learned in the real world, you have to test them. Are women really like water? They take the path of least resistance. Is life so simple as you either have faith or feelings and you would test all these things that you were taught and have to come to the conclusion. I was, my mind was conditioned. I was being controlled and it was all in an effort to keep me in that place so that I'd never leave. Because remember, We had the true Bible interpretation, the church of Bible understanding. Right. We had a special interpretation that no one else had. And in fact, we were told that God chose us uniquely to hear this interpretation. And so we were different from all the other Christians out there. Those Christians They were blind. They were the Laodiceans that didn't know what we knew. And we were special. So you hear that long enough, you believe it. You can't, and you tuck it away. It's all tucked away and it becomes part of you. So when you physically leave, you encounter other Christians and you, you have to test what you learned against what they really are. What are they really like? And you begin to see that it was false information being fed to us. It's like a, that it was a house of cards. And slowly, that house tumbles down. 
We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.